Okay, so anyone who knows me, and honestly, at this point, anyone who listens to the podcast, because I guess we've just (laughs) gotten real close around here, knows that I do not wear bras. And like, that's not some sort of an over-exaggeration. You can ask any of my friends. I truly do not ever wear bras. However, there have recently been some circumstances where like, I just have to. I've been saying yes to more things. I feel like we've been going to more events and there are just some outfits. I got to do it. And when I tell you I have finally found a bra that makes wearing one bearable. Like I'm never going to be an everyday bra wearer. It's not in the cars for me. But when I have to, the only bras I can wear are skims, which I'll get into the specific ones in a second, but we all know this comes as no surprise. Like I have been an OG diehard skims fan since day one. I am a fan of every single product they make. You know the way I feel about the underwear, the clothes, all of it. But now adding bras to the mix, specifically the Fits Everybody t-shirt bra, because You guys know the way I feel about the Fits Everybody collection. I could talk about that for forever, but specifically the t-shirt bra, it's just so comfortable. I don't know, the straps don't dig into you. It's probably the only bra I've ever worn where when I get home, I'm not like dying to take it off, which I cannot express how massive of a feat that is for someone like me. It's just comfortable and it just does what it needs to do. And I am such a fan, which like no surprise, I love everything Skims makes, but here to confirm the bras are as good as you would think that they are. Shop Skims Bras at skims.com, now available in 62 sizes, 30A through 46H. If you haven't yet, be sure to let them know we sent you. After you place your order, select podcast in the survey and select our show in the drop-down menu that follows. Hi guys, I'm Emma. And I'm Isabel. And welcome back to another episode of Comments by Bravo. Hey, is. Hi, Em. This Salt Lake City trailer. It's like you don't know what you got until it's gone, and I fucking miss these ladies so much. This invigorated me in a way that I can't even tell you. We are so close, you guys. September 28th, we are three and a half weeks away from experiencing this magic, and the trailer gave me everything I could have wanted. Because it seems like there's a lot of new dynamics, and also, we now have answers about Jen. Like This is for real unfolding, whereas last season... Jen was still very much in her denial phase, which I feel like she will be for a big part of this season. But like, we just are so much more well-educated, you know? And I just think that's really important now as viewers where last season we were sort of just like enjoying the ride. Oh, it's a totally different viewing experience. But again, she was filming most or at least the majority of this season while still maintaining her innocence. So yes, our knowledge will be different, but what we're seeing on screen in terms of her portrayal, I have to imagine will be very similar. Just such a strong cast. Like when I saw the five of them, boom, boom, boom. Like they're all a 10 out of 10. And then we're also getting three new friends, including Angie, who we saw last season and already has a lot of issues with women in the group like that is that's a perfect cast to me honestly like five strong women as the foundation and then some friends who clearly come to fuck shit up yeah (laughs) yeah i mean let me ask you something though in terms of whitney and heather because that was one i don't even want to call it an alliance but that was one relationship that seemed to be rather unbreakable they were family and now i mean we saw that one preview where they kind of got into it but it's not even that that i'm really referencing it's more so the fact that it seems like there's a line drawn in the sand of meredith jen and heather and then strangely almost lisa and whitney or at least whitney versus meredith so what does that look like because everything that we've seen forget about the preview i'm talking about on social signals that meredith and heather are very very close oh i don't know i like didn't even really get that vibe i was so caught up in each individual clip i also think it's very hard and unfair to say just watching these clips like they do this dramatic moment where it looks like heather is pushing whitney and like i don't really believe that that's what happened but i don't know i mean honestly that would make me really upset if their alliance sort of fell because It's hard when everything you know gets flipped on its head. Like last season when we would come on every single week and be like, what the fuck is going on? We are so confused. We have no idea what we just watched. One thing I always knew for sure was that Heather and Whitney were on the same page and maybe sometimes they had disagreements on how things went down or what the other said. But like at the end of the day, they were a strong duo who would come out on top together. So like, if that's not true anymore, it's like the North star is gone. 
let's not forget that before this most recent season, Meredith and Lisa was our North Star. That's kind mm-hmm. of also what we look to, remember, for that security, for that consistency, and then that was taken from us. I don't think that's what's happening with Whitney and Heather. That's not what I'm alluding to. So if I made it seem like that, that's not what I meant. I'm more so saying in terms of the alliances within the friendships, I wonder if that creates a little bit of a tricky dynamic. Not them feuding. More so it looked like, I mean, Meredith and Whitney were going at it. I guess Bethany Frankel and Jill Zarin just completely scarred me for life. Like their breakup, I, I will never believe in like monogamous love friendship ever again, you know? It's like the TikTok sound, I'm carrying your love with me. <laughs> so I feel. <laughs> Which by the way, while we're on the subject, I just need to spend 30 seconds on Bethany on TikTok because we have not spoken about this enough. I feel like TikTok is exactly where Bethany belongs. Like she just gets to talk, honestly, even more than her podcast. Like she posts these 10, 15, 20 minute podcasts that I would more qualify as like a voice note you would send to your friends sort of ranting about any random particular topic. So then for her to take it to TikTok, hop on the trends. Clearly, Bryn, her daughter, is like leading her. She knows every single trending sound, and she has bought every product of makeup under the sun and really tried it out and given you the full like Joan Rivers QVC breakdown of it. I mean, she's making me second-guess products that I've been using for my whole life. (laughs) Right. Okay. I know that she's gone on rants against the Kardashians and Mykonos and all these other things. I'm not even talking about that. I am zoning in strictly on the makeup reviews. I have to tell you, I cannot put on makeup or even sit down at my vanity without hearing her in my mind being like, this is not at the level. It, it, it's penetrating through my through my brain. I know. Uh, if there's something that Bethany and Michaela agree on, I, I it's instantly in my cart. I, I know that everyone thinks that she is gearing up to do some sort of a subscription box. And this is really all like a very thought out strategic business plan. And by the way, I would be 0% surprised if that happens. I think there's a very high chance that that is what's going on, but I don't care. I'm just having so much fun watching them. Like, It's not even that I necessarily need to buy the product. I just find comfort in watching her sit there in her closet. And by the way, now that I said this, you'll always do it, although I'm sure you already do. Every time I look at the top left corner because you can see which handbag she has and it's not always the same. And so it's fun because you're also getting a little glimpse into her closet. This is like what I think she wanted her talk show to be back in the day. And it obviously couldn't be that because, you know, having a daytime talk show, there's such a format and it's so formal and you can't just like spew whatever comes out of your mouth. And she just like free flowing thoughts, whatever she's thinking about makeup. And then it sometimes tangents into other things. Look, do I think she'll probably sprout some business opportunity from it? Absolutely. But honestly, from the bottom of my heart, I don't think that's what she went into it. I think she went into it saying, there's all these like beauty gurus. There's all these magazines and people trying to sell you shit or tell you what you should use. And if anyone's going to be the voice of reason and give you an honest, brutal review of things that you can trust, it's going to be me. And I think she is self-aware enough to understand her position. And everybody watching her knows that whatever she's saying is really how she feels. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, it's not that she's pulling the wool over my eyes in terms of her being a salesperson. She's absolutely a natural born salesperson. Not that she's selling these products at the moment, but I know that she has that in her. I guess I just don't really care because I simultaneously trust that what she's saying is honest. I don't think she has it in her to bullshit. One thing she was right about, the Addison Rae lip oil. I mean, you're telling me. So I know we're all kind of operating at a different skill level when it comes to makeup. Like I have some friends who they do their makeup and it looks like they got it professionally done. I have others who know nothing about any products. And then I would say I'm somewhere in the middle, like by no means am I very skilled, but I think I can hold my own. And in terms of my everyday, I'm just doing mascara, lip gloss, and maybe a little bit of highlighter on my inner corner. So if I'm only using a few products, I need them to be excellent. And I've recently been very into the Thrive Cosmetics mascara which I'll tell you about in a second, but just in general, a note on the company. For every product purchase, Thrive Cosmetics donates products and funds to help communities thrive, which I just love knowing that I'm buying from a company that does that. And in terms of their mascara, so it's the Liquid Lash Extensions Mascara. You guys have seen that. It's the viral turquoise tube. I've saw it all over social media before I ever started using it. And it's a unique formula that creates tubes around each eyelash to lengthen them. 
It's also super easy to remove. So it slides right off with warm water. It doesn't leave smudges. And the ingredients are really nourishing. So they support longer, stronger, and healthier looking lashes over time. It really just gets the job done. Like you will see what I mean when you try it. Refresh your everyday look with Thrive Cosmetics, luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 10% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash CBC. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S dot com slash CBC for 10% off your first order. So I'm a big fan of transparency across all aspects of life. Like generally speaking, there's pretty much nothing I wouldn't rather be told straight up. But specifically when I'm buying something or paying for a service, I just want to know what I'm getting myself into. And oftentimes there can be so much nonsense or so much yada yada. For example, sneaky terms hidden in the fine print of contracts or bills that randomly go up without properly alerting you or budget airlines with cheap fares, but then exorbitant fees to make up for it elsewhere. And we just should not need to be dealing with this type of yada yada in our lives. And yes, you could read every single word of every single contract and that's one way of avoiding it. Or you can go with a trusted brand like Metro by T-Mobile that helps you to get ahead and not pull you back. That's right. You don't take yada yada from life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and not a yada yada, which honestly gives so much peace of mind. Like you shouldn't have to compromise for an okay option with sacrifices when you really deserve that full transparency. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. Back to the trailer for a second. No part of me expected that Meredith and Lisa were going to automatically get along this season, but it was not on my bingo card for a sexual favors in order to sell Vita tequila accusation. There is no way they're taking that seriously, right? Like unless there is some crazy concrete evidence, even seeing Lisa's reaction when she was like, what are you crazy? Or whatever she said along those lines. I was like, yeah, come on. Like, that feels like a bit of a stretch. What, to get her bottle of tequila on a top shelf of, like, the local dive bar? I just don't feel like that's her her route here. And by the way, that's not to say I don't think Lisa would go to far and extreme measures to get Vita out there and be a salesperson and, like, go to the hot parties and have whoever she wants, like, holding the bottle and promoting it. I do. I think that's very much in her nature. But I don't think she's going around like blowing the local alcohol distributors. My thing on this, though, was when Meredith said it to Whitney, she never used the word sexuals unless it was entirely implied. And then when Whitney recounted it, she said sexual. So I could absolutely see a world in which Meredith thinks that Whitney spun that. Right. Like, is that what happens? Is that now she thinks Meredith is going around with some narrative about doing sexual favors when really what Meredith heard was more like, sneaky business money trading favors that I I would not be surprised at at all. But also I feel like that's like not necessarily a story that's sort of just like how the restaurant and liquor business goes. Right. (laughs) That's what I'm saying. But like POV or Lisa Barlow, you're sitting in a house and all of a sudden Whitney tells you that Meredith told her that she's giving head to the local bar. (laughs) Like that is (laughs) what? (laughs) Talk about losing the plot. How do we get here? I can't even like entertain that you know like it's yeah. too crazy no it's 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 too crazy i am just so excited i feel this in my bones we are so lucky to be alive at the time of this show and we have said it from the beginning and i will stand by it salt lake city is in my top three franchises and i'm telling you right now one of the new friends of her name is dana she in the trailer has two zingers where she is talking about that she has a friend who is now an informant on Jen's case. And then when she says in Jen's face, don't get in my motherfucking face. If I were you, I'd be real nice right now, especially if you want some money in your fucking books. Referring to like sending her money for commissary in jail. Terms I have learned from watching all seasons of Orange is the New Black. But still, (laughs) in a party in front of everybody? Are you kidding me? That is like amazing. Like amazing. I found myself getting almost an irrational feeling of joy seeing someone go up against Jen in a way that was yes, not even equal in a way that, I mean, I think really overshadowed Jen's power because a lot of the times I I think what happens with Jen when she gets into these arguments with these women is it's not that she necessarily goes lower. She just goes bigger and then yes. they, you know what I mean? They kind of back off. Whereas this, I mean, what's she going to say back to that? I felt like she's going to have like a Sonia Kenya moment where even she can't clap back. Like she is like, wait, 
I don't know what to say to that because you are giving me a taste of my own medicine almost. It's honestly a really seamless transition to Atlanta. I know our initial plan was to do Beverly Hills first, but how do you feel about doing Atlanta first? I obviously feel amazing about it. You had said to me before I watched the episode, it was so fun. And I think that's like the perfect way to describe this episode because there was just like a lot of great back and forth, a lot of touch points on each person's storyline. Like, I mean, the Shibai Shirai thing dragging on is simply killing me. And then this whole party atmosphere and like the Marlo and Kenya of it all. I honestly just had such a good time watching this whole entire episode. Kenya and Rowan at that model casting was one of the (laughs) wilder scenes I have ever seen. Like Sheree really tried to warn her. She did. And Kenya came in at a level 100. If there is not already a contract out to Rowan to be the next middle peach holder of next season's Real Housewives of Atlanta. Like I am boycotting. She was throwing shade and punching right back and giving Kenya like a real run for her money. I mean, truly like she was, I think she out shaded and outwitted Kenya. But that's what I'm saying. Rowan has what Sonia wants. Like the way- She has what everybody wants. She has what every housewife in the entire history of the whole franchise wants. And that is that quick wit, confidence in herself, gives zero fucks, knows she's right, knows in her head exactly what to say, knows how to get under your skin. I mean, that is like superhero powers right there. Yeah. And listen, not to say that Kenya was wrong in terms of it not being- you know, the type of casting call she wanted. But to Rowan's point, you have to have the budget for the models. And it really came down to Sheree just not allotting, you know, the money for that, which I guess in Sheree's defense, she feels like she already spent so much on all the other things and nothing came of it. But Rowan's to Kenya, like, what do you want me to do with the budget that I have? No, this is like one of my favorite things about Kenya. I guess also one of my least favorite, but just in terms of being a viewer, my favorite ongoing plot with Kenya is her walking into certain situations and you know that she thinks she knows best and that nobody can tell her otherwise. Walking into Todd's condo in Jersey and breaking down exactly what kind of renovations she would do. I mean, even the flashbacks to that early season where she came into Cynthia's casting call and was completely flipping it on its head and made such a scene about how it should go and how she thinks it should go and how all the casting she's been on should go. Like Those are two tiny examples, but I feel like every season we get at least three or four or five or six of them. So to see her in her natural prime where she walks in, thinks she knows best and is going to tell everybody who will listen to get it thrown back in her face for maybe the first time ever in such a perfect way was like, this is what we've been waiting for. I do believe, honestly, as yes, a part of Kenya just likes being the center of the show. And I think she likes kind of taking charge of a situation. But I also do believe specifically when it comes to Sheree, she's coming at it from a place of like genuinely wanting to help her. I think that she does want Sheree to have the best fashion show she can possibly have. And so like that care manifests itself in this you know, kind of dismissiveness of everyone else and like a really take charge attitude, but but I can't hate her for it. No, because I also think on top of that, she likes to be the one who comes in and saves the day and is like, oh, you know, nobody can put on a good show without me. And like, here I am, I'm going to come in, I'm going to clean up this whole act and I'm going to make sure it's done right. And, you know, no, no, you got to write down your information on the card because see, when you lose the contact information, I can have an I told you so moment. I think she loves that and she gets a high and it's invigorating. And like, there are so many times where she gets to be right. But like, uh, yeah, this episode was most fun because of the scene with Rowan. I got to be honest. Wait, I want to talk about the Sonia Kenya thing with Ross for a second when Sheree. Mm. I didn't look online to see what people were saying about this, and I'm really curious your thoughts. To me, I guess I didn't feel like there was anything wrong necessarily with Kenya expressing to Sheree that she felt a little bit intimidated by the way that Sonia's husband was defending her. Because I, I guess the way that I took it wasn't necessarily a accusation or a character assassination. I felt it was more just her expressing how she felt in the moment. And I feel like as anyone, but specifically as a woman, you are entitled to express feeling that way about a man speaking to you. But, you know, and at the same time, if I'm Sonia, I very much get feeling protective over your husband and not wanting that to be a narrative 
especially if it's something that you feel he is not. But I don't think that that necessarily takes away from Kenya being allowed to express that's how she felt in the moment. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. I think it's hard because the way Kenya speaks is very matter of fact. So probably hearing that and then it being passed down in a game of telephone of hearing her like state something so factually when really it was like an emotion and almost her describing a situation and how it felt from her perspective. Like it it was just like a really convoluted layered issue. But I agree. I think Kenya is allowed to use whatever word or say whatever she wants of how she was feeling in that moment or what she observed or behavior she felt was going on. And it it didn't have to go down like this. I understand completely Sonya's defensiveness and protectiveness. I mean, we saw it clearly. They are both very protective of each other as you would probably hope your husband or wife would be. But I don't think Kenya was saying anything other than what she saw in that moment. She wasn't making sweeping statements of him as a person. It was more just like that moment in time, sort of what she observed and felt was going on. Also, let me tell you something I was not expecting. A sit down between Sheree and Apollo and then an Apollo confessional. What? is going on. I am like in another planet. When fucking Apollo walks in, I saw him in the trailers. I saw him in the teasers of the episodes, but something just was not ready inside of me when he walked through those doors and sat down with Sheree to talk about a She by Sheree fashion show. Like this is the kind of nostalgia throwback I absolutely needed in my life. Coming off of the Berkshires though, like coming off of Ultimate Girls Trip, when he started to talk shit to Sheree about Phaedra, I straight up was in my Will Smith era of like, keep my wife's name out your fucking mouth. Like, <laughs> do you will not drag Phaedra in my house. Like, not even to say that his feelings are invalid. I'm sure he totally felt that she went about it in that way. And no part of me is saying that she is perfect. However, bold of you and bold of Bravo, by the way, to allow Apollo to come on here and uh, talk about Phaedra in that way. I'm feeling very protective over her after Ultimate Girls Trip. Me too, because I also think she's completely changed and grown as a person. I I do like not agree, but I do see where he's coming from. I think she had no idea how to handle it and completely wanted to distance herself for her own protection and also the protection of her kids at that time and wanted nothing to do with him, was so out of the marriage before it even really ended. And I think looking back, she would probably say, yeah, I didn't do a great job. But to talk about my Phaedra Parks in 2022, literally goodbye. No. Doing your hair has the potential to be such a time-consuming process if you're not using products that really work for you, and honestly really work with you. And for me, I'd say generally speaking, my hair is pretty easy to manage, but it does get frizzy. I have a lot of split ends. So I'm always looking for things to manage the frizz. And recently I've been into a new product from Way. It's their anti-frizz cream. So it's a really lightweight cream. It provides immediate frizz control that lasts up to 72 hours and also heat protection up to 450 degrees. So you're kind of killing two birds with one stone. Then the thing I really like about it is that it helps reduce and repair split ends while quenching dry hair with intense hydration. So you can feel like it just feels good on your hair. For me, I get out of the shower. I always spray in the leave-in conditioner. I've told you guys about that before, but I love it. A little anti-frizz cream and you're good to go. I also, I mean, I love a lot of things from Way, but I like their detox shampoo. I don't use that every week, maybe once a week, maybe once every other week, but I feel like it gives my hair a really, really good clean. Frizz free up your schedule with Way. Go to T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com and enter promo code CELEBS for 15% off any product. That's T-H-E-O-U-A-I.com promo code CELEBS. Apartments.com believes the dishwasher does more than just clean plates. It turns your whole place into a time machine by turning the time you would have spent washing dishes into extra time for you. That could mean more time to read, more time to knit, or more time to contemplate the vastness of time itself. With Apartments.com, finding somewhere to live with an elusive dishwashing slash time-expanding device is easy. And listen, we all have our non-negotiables in terms of what we really want when looking for an apartment. I know for me, natural light has always been really important. I just know myself and I am a happier person when I have that natural light throughout the day. And I also told myself that in my next place, I will definitely have a washer and dryer because you just can't beat that convenience. And I know it can be hard to find, but when you find it, I think it is so worth it. Apartments.com hosts the most rental listings with over 1 million available units. And with comprehensive search tools and instant alerts, you never have to worry about missing out on the perfect place. To find whatever you're searching for and more, visit Apartments.com, the place to find a place. (music) 
I'm already frustrated because I know I won't be able to find the words to express how put off I was by this episode in general, but specifically Diana. But I find comfort in knowing that every other person watching it also had a similar reaction of just like disgust and honestly a little bit of sadness. Sadness in mourning like what this has become. It's just so toxic and so not what the show is about. And like, I feel like we've been really riding a slippery slope for years in in all of the city franchises of like what needs to be done and the level of drama and pettiness and shadiness. And there is definitely a fine line. I mean, we're so far from what we started as and it will never be that because of just the awareness of like the production and being a show and the social media aspect. Like you can't turn back time as my friend Cher once said, but you can like do it in a way that still feels like at the end of the day, the women would all like go get drinks after the reunion. I never will forget one reunion in like the middle of New York. They were all fighting at the reunion, whatever, but like they all went out to dinner after. And I always loved that. And I always felt like that should be sort of the basis of how these shows should be run. And this is getting like absolutely almost unwatchable and that's coming from me okay like do you know how unwatchable things have to be for me who lives and breathes and literally pays my bills on the back of housewives like i'm sorry it's just awful it's like where how did we get here how are we sitting in kyle's house in aspen and still feeling that way that's supposed to be our safe haven by the way there's so much here first of all diana is despicable And I don't know if I've ever used that word to describe a housewife before, but I find her to have zero redeeming qualities other than the wealth that she brings to the show. Truly, the way that she feels so comfortable to speak to Sutton, and then on top of that, the way everyone else kind of backs her up, which we can get into, but it's not even necessarily the way she speaks to Sutton. It's more so the way she is so comfortable to dismiss Sutton as a human being is very difficult to watch. And because Sutton hurt her feelings, she almost wants to stomp on her like she's trash. Instead of having a conversation, she now states these things about Sutton as though they are fact about how she acts and how she is and who she is as a person just based on her small, short amount of observations that have probably been going on for what, a couple of weeks, if not months? Like that's it to just completely shit all over her. I mean, the way she did it and so smug and such like mean girl bully villain energy. Like I really felt like she was like Ursula coming out of the sea to take Ariel's voice away. It's like a real life (laughs) villain. That's really what I felt like. Like how can you almost with a straight face be speaking like this in front of a group of people on cameras? It was And feels so good about it, like this aloof energy. She wasn't even ashamed. She was proud of it. The way that this whole thing started when she was so excited to say, you know, well, she is one. And then again, to repeat it when not everyone heard it and to so proudly repeat it, coupled with Erica's maniacal and villainous laugh. Oh, talk about Ursula, by the way. Yeah, like seriously talk about Ursula. It was very, very unsettling. Also, the way that she spoke in just saying that Sutton comes for people at their weakest time, like, what are you basing? You just met her. And maybe if you had calmly and clearly had a conversation with Sutton instead of having one negative interaction from your perspective and then going around and saying that she's like basically scum of the earth and dead to you and that you see all these qualities in her that you just do not accept and do not like, like, that's not fair. Maybe from your perspective, the situation didn't feel right. Maybe you felt like Sutton came for you and you were in a really sensitive time, but also you had zero amount of communication. You would go back and forth of like, maybe I will, maybe I won't, whatever that weird lunch conversation was. But like you gave her nothing to work with. She can't read your mind. And then for her to start insinuating that, oh, you you brought up these two miscarriages that nobody seemed to know about, like as though that is a point and maybe she's lying about it and like... I'm sorry, I am not by any means like a diehard Sutton fan, but I felt so protective of her. I felt so in her mind almost of like, how the fuck did we end up here? And I felt like she is so level-headed now compared to Diana because I don't even, what is this spin, this spiral? 
But exactly, Isabel, we did not come into the season as being Sutton fans in the slightest. This, let me make this very clear. When you were just saying right now, like, as I was watching this, I felt like I was in Sutton's mind. Me too. I felt such an overwhelming sense of protection for her. But it's not like, you know, that was a, a super subjective view because we feel such an allegiance to her. No, that was because Diana was being objectively evil. And I think on some level, we're also hypersensitive to this because we're coming off of last episode or the episode before when Rinna makes peace. And then all of a sudden, the second she has an audience really comes for Sutton's throat. And it's like this repeated pattern is just highly... I'm like deep breathing. Right? It's it's really, really upsetting. You know, I would say like, I, I don't know, 70% of the time in a fight like this, when a housewife starts crying, I find it to be a little bit dramatic. This was one of those times where I felt it was not in the slightest bit dramatic or an attempt to gain sympathy. I think that anybody that was being spoken to in that way and then also not being defended would have reacted. You, If you're Sutton in that situation, you revert back to being a child and feeling like you are bullied in school. That is what was happening in that moment. I literally have so much to say. I cannot stand Diana. Like, Maybe Sutton did hurt your feelings. Maybe you didn't see eye to eye on the situation. Like that is all okay. And that's just like the circle of life, I feel like. And yes, of course, you're allowed to feel offended. You're allowed to say in my moment of weakness and I was so hurt and offended and whatever. But I just do not think anything that Sutton did, whether it was to Diana's approval or not, deserves this. I don't think anything on Housewives, these stupid tiffs deserve this. And like, Oh, I'm getting so angry. I cannot even think about it. And then, okay, going into the defense of Sutton thing, because I think that also is like so much of it of that she's just sitting there quiet and like trying to hold back her tears, which I think everybody knows that feeling and it's awful and nobody's sort of jumping in. I think Garcelle wanted Diana to say her point. You know, everybody's equally allowed to sort of have the floor. And I think... You know, she's not afraid of what the other women might say, but she also doesn't want to be Sutton's mouthpiece. Like, she doesn't want to have to be the one always jumping in. Like, she wants Sutton to feel like she can handle things on her own, too. And I think she was sort of hyper aware in that moment of, you know, there were little moments here and there where she was jumping to Sutton's defense, definitely on her page about the Instagram bullshit. And she's a good, I know Garcelle's a good friend, so I never had a doubt. But I think in this moment, she sort of was like, Maybe I don't want to fight her battles. Maybe I let Sutton take this one. Maybe I show them that, you know, she can't be walked all over. And if I'm not there, she still has a backbone. So, like, I think there was a lot of layered pieces there. But also, we'll see what happens next week as the conversation continues. Maybe Garcelle does jump in. And also, like, to be a supportive friend doesn't mean you need to necessarily say something in the moment. I think also Garcelle's comment last week about, Erica saying, like, I don't have to make you look bad. You do a good enough job yourself applies to Diana here, too. She didn't have to say a word. And Diana looks like a fucking asshole. Oh, wait. Anything that I was saying about the defense had nothing to do with Garcelle. I think that she handled herself the best that she possibly could have in that moment. I think that if Garcelle would have came back at Diana in a strong way, it would have only enhanced Diana's argument. Like you said, that Garcelle is Sutton's mouthpiece. All Garcelle needed to do is after the blow up, make Sutton feel supported. And that's exactly what she did. It's mm-hmm. almost everyone else. Erica, forget about it. I mean, Erica hysterically laughing over the cunt thing, like get out of here. And then oh. also just, you know, immediately kind of riding with Diana as she's walking out. Second of all, Dorit, I love you to death. Why are you running to chase after Diana? Or what is this feeling that you need to almost kind of side with her or or baby her because it's a r- repeated pattern, which by the way, on the after show, when Dorit is sitting there with Erica, she maintains that she fully understood where Diana was coming from. It's not like in retrospect, she's looking back and really was appalled at the way that Diana was speaking to Sutton, which I, I do want to note because I think it's important and, and really was surprising to me because I typically kind of agree with where Dorit is coming from in these situations in terms of like having empathy. But then also Kyle, who you know, I, I love Kyle. I know a lot of people don't. I do like her. The issue that people have with Kyle typically is that she's a potster, which she absolutely is. The reason that I haven't taken that much of an issue with it is that I never feel like it ends up being malicious. I think it gets messy, but I don't think it gets mean necessarily. This was an instance where Kyle's potstering got mean. Yeah. And she didn't do a good enough job of 
making up for that, you know, and not to say right. that she caused this. Like, you can't make someone do this. Kyle cannot make Diana act in this way. That was just, I mean, that's like an asinine thought process. However, Kyle, I think, really assisted intentionally or unintentionally in the lead up of the Sutton gang up. What is it to you whether Sutton unfollowed or did not unfollow Erica? Like, it's almost as though the producer mindset has, I, I think, just gotten in the way of her acting logically. And I know I'm the first one to say I did not love the way that she handled this in the slightest. Oh, I have so much to say. Thank God we have a podcast. I, <laughs> okay. Number one, the Dorit thing. I agree with you. I think it's like a, an awful take and it's honestly so unlike her. I don't know why she is so like doubling down on this Diana thing because at two points in this episode, she was pushing back on Rinna and Kyle, two of her closest friends and part of her core group that they tend to sort of blindly follow each other. I mean, in the beginning, her and Kyle having like a sort of honest conversation about Rinna's reactions being very, very like over the top and big, which is true in a very delicate way to put it. I'm not saying they're making huge waves here, but, you know, even just pushing back, I think is a big step. And then two in her confessional saying like, Kyle is fucking stirring the pot and Kyle is like her sister at this point. They're her best friend. So that's when you know, it's really bad. Second, this Kyle bullshit with the Instagram. I mean, I don't know. I think it felt like something sort of concrete, like you unfollowed her. That is a fact. That is like, 100% true and a concrete, tangible thing that I can bring to the table. Why? And then Garcelle saying, oh, we just laughed about it. That wasn't good enough for her. She said, no, there has to be a reason behind it. She was harping on this Instagram thing and it was so stupid. And I don't, I, I don't know how that became a vehicle then to just being mean about Sutton and like then it spun into this whole thing. But I felt like it was an easy, low-hanging fruit for Kyle in that moment to sort of grasp at instead of saying, oh, Diana, like why don't we reopen this Pandora's box about why you don't like Sutton so much? It sort of was like an opening to a conversation of, okay, everyone, let's like open up our thoughts and feelings about what's going on in the group instead of outright saying that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen, I don't think that Kyle wanted this particular thing to happen. Like, mm -hmm. I think you have to be a really mean-spirited person to get enjoyment out of watching Diana do this to Sutton. I'll tell you, though, I think Erica got a little bit of an enjoyment out of it. I absolutely a do. A lot think, of enjoyment. Yeah, she was she was heavily amused. I think my issue with Kyle in this moment is like, what's it to you if someone unfollows someone else? I actually think it's a pretty healthy coping mechanism if you really can't stand someone and want to like protect your peace. What's it to Sutton? Why does she need to sign up voluntarily to have Erica in her feed if she's already feeling like she's not someone she wants to associate with? I'll go as far as to say that requires zero explanation. It's I think it I think unfollowing someone on Instagram is a completely legitimate and fair form of boundary setting. Should we teach them about the mute button or this is more fun, you think? <laughs> I mean, she listen, if she wants to make a statement, make a statement, right. do your thing. Like, let it be like, public. Let it be public. The, this whole thing was so bizarre. I mean, you know, okay, when they flash back to the clip when they're at, I guess it was Garcelle's party and Sutton says, you know, you were on bed dress and you're here. That's confusing. Yeah, a shitty presentation. I totally agree. I did not like the way that she presented it. I thought that it was a little bit insensitive. It did not in the slightest warrant this though. Sorry, I, I'm really trying to maintain a slight bit of eloquence and I just can't because I keep thinking about Diana weaponizing Sutton's discretion about her miscarriages, which when, when Sutton's sitting in the after show with Garcelle, she's like, I've known these women for three years. There's right. a lot about me that they don't know. In what world is me choosing to not volunteer the information about miscarriages that happened to me a while ago at all, you know, grounds for, for this type of, for this type of attack? Like, I am done for us to devote any more time to Diana. I actually think is doing like our mental health a disservice. She is not as in the words of Bethany Frankel, she is not at the level. No, definitely not. I mean, also you knew it was bad and you knew this was above and beyond just like a normal housewives bullshit when Rinna is sitting there with her hands in her head and she doesn't like Sutton. She actually really doesn't like Sutton and has gone out of her way at every chance that she gets to hurt Sutton. So for her to be mortified and just taken aback by these comments and how they're treating her, like that's when you know shit is fucked up. 
Well, even when they're at that lunch last week or the week before and Rinna kind of jokingly says to her, you know, I like to watch you squirm a little. Like, I do believe that in most situations, there is a part of Rinna that gets a little bit of enjoyment out of this. But that wasn't this. Like, that, no. this wasn't watching someone squirm. This was watching someone be seriously bullied. And also, yeah. like, ugh, whatever. I'm so – Diana is not it. And you know what? For her sake as well, like, this is the last thing she needs. Julie and I – send each other in and out lists like the click books all the time and all i can say for this week is in garcelle rowan out diana hard out okay so i want to talk cookware for a second because i haven't told you guys about this company and I recently tried their products and I fully understand the hype now. So they're called Great Jones and they make really high quality, thoughtfully designed cookware that also happens to be beautiful. Like I know it's kind of a weird way to describe cookware, but you'll see what I mean when you go on the website. In terms of colors, they have your classic black and white, but they also have pink screens, yellows, blues, just like really vibrant, fun colors. And everything is non-toxic. So they have, you know, Dutch oven, ceramic dishes, non-stick sheet pans. Everything is non-toxic to me. That's huge. And we all know, like, I'm not the biggest cook, but I have my staples. And I got originally from them the Fry Family, which is the eight and 10 inch ceramic nonstick pans. And they're just great. I got them in the white because that matches the best with my kitchen. I love cooking on them. And I also, I know, again, it sounds kind of weird, but I love the way they look in my kitchen. And the thing is, once you get these, you're going to want to get them for your friends. So they make incredible gifts for weddings, housewarming parties, birthdays, whatever occasion you need. It's a great gift. Upgrade your kitchen and replace those old rusted hand-me-downs with bold, beautiful, long-lasting pieces from Great Jones. Get started today at greatjones.com and get an extra 15% off your first order with promo code CBC. That's greatjones.com, promo code CBC. 50 high school senior girls descend on Mobile, Alabama every summer to compete for a massive cash prize. It isn't Survivor. It's one of America's most lucrative scholarship competitions for teen girls. It's been around for seven decades. Now you'll hear what took place behind the scenes. From Pineapple Street Studios and Wondery comes the competition. Host Shima Oliayi was Nevada's contestant 20 years ago. Now she's returning as a judge to find out what two weeks with 50 of the country's most ambitious teens can tell us about girlhood in America. What happens when the competitors are thrown into the deep end with the best and brightest? And how does surviving the competition prepare them for everything that comes after? Follow the competition on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of the competition early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery+. Plus. Okay, let's just get right into the page and Naomi of it all, because I would say the majority of this episode was filler. Not that it wasn't enjoyable to watch, but in terms of actual touch points to discuss, Naomi and Paige is the top, don't you think? Yeah, I mean, it was mostly like what everyone was cooking to bring to Austin's Friendsgiving, which don't get me wrong, I really enjoyed and it got me in the fall spirit. But like, let's get down to the juice of the episode. Yeah. Let me preface this by saying that this is coming from someone who really does like Paige and specifically enjoys her on Summer House and also felt that the way that Naomi was handling things with Craig was a little bit bizarre. But I was not into this confrontation. I think that Paige is entitled to her feelings, but I think the way she was treating Naomi or talking to her about the situation, it was like the punishment didn't necessarily fit the crime in my eyes. What's really hard for me is like we're only a couple of episodes into the season and we started off with Paige and Naomi being so like friendly and cordial and Paige being like, yeah, I'm such like the cool new girlfriend that's like totally chill with the ex and whatever. And you could tell that there was like almost a level of respect there. I mean, and then through Naomi's behavior, which I will be the first to say was definitely a little thirsty. And from where I stand, I think she 100% still has so many feelings for Craig it definitely rubbed Paige the wrong way. But like, I don't know. It's not like it's not like she did something like super inappropriate. She just did some things that were like a little weird and definitely crossing the boundaries. It didn't deserve this like super mean girl energy, which like I know Paige does have in her, but it's not like who she is. Like she is, I would say, consider her as a girl's girl. And it just felt like she needed to communicate that like this was not chill and she was uncomfortable with like the way it was going down. But also like the elephant in the room here is talk to Craig. Like he <laughs> is the one who's being like, I'm sorry, a little pussy and like says, oh, fine, I'll come to coffee with you. Like tell him I 
I'm not comfortable with that. And also I feel like you should be using your judgment of like, maybe that's not cool. We slept together, like overlapping with when we started dating. Like go through the first source first before you start giving Naomi the cold shoulder when she walks in and tries to say hello to you when you're about to have Thanksgiving dinner together. I think the other thing that was happening is that Craig throughout, I don't know, the last however many weeks has very consciously and intentionally been painting a certain narrative about the way Naomi's been acting to Paige. You know, so she has in her mind everything that Craig's told her. I don't necessarily think that anything Paige experienced firsthand really caught her so off guard, other than maybe Naomi pulling Craig aside when they were at Patricia's. Like, maybe that she felt was a little bit off. But everything else has been what she heard through Craig. So Mm. I don't know. It just kind of rubbed me the wrong way a little bit, although I think a lot of people would take Paige aside and felt that Naomi was being inappropriate. I think also, like, I don't know, maybe this is a hot take, but the elephant in the room is kind of like, you can't necessarily control your feelings. So what if Naomi, like, it's only if you're doing something wrong. If Naomi was, like, actively trying to meet up with Craig, actively attempting to seduce him, like, okay, then we're in a whole different boat. But if somewhere very, very deep down she has feelings towards Craig that she's actively working on getting over and not doing anything inappropriate, like, it's not necessarily her fault. It's not like she's telling him that. It's not like she's expressing to him how she feels. You know, you have, yes, you absolutely have a responsibility to have a respect for the person's relationship. But if like somewhere deep down, you're still processing the feelings that you have because you had sex with this person you were once in love with relatively recently, like, I don't think you can be punished for that as long as you're not acting on it. No, and I don't think Paige is like necessarily punishing her. I think she just knows it's the truth and feels like because of that, it's sort of like inappropriate but I also think from Paige's perspective something that is really fucked up that Naomi has done whether it's conscious or not is like paint this narrative of Craig acts so different when Paige is around versus when she's not and that is like super manipulative I think and like really makes it like oh Craig and I like have this like special like bond and connection and relationship but when Paige is around you know he completely buries it under the rug and like maybe that's true I don't think it is. I think it's sort of like her perspective of it and also like what she allows herself to do when Paige isn't around. But like from Paige's perspective, I mean, I think it's easy for us to say now almost a year later where we like pretty much know that Craig and Paige are going to be together forever. We love them. They're super solid and like it's a great relationship. But like at this point in time, it's very fresh off of this transition where he had just hooked up with Naomi. They were just becoming very serious boyfriend and girlfriend. And like she also is having hours and hours, like you said, of conversation with Craig that we don't know. We're seeing like two minutes a week of maybe what they discussed or how it went down when like they're together all the time, Craig and Paige. Like there is so much conversation probably going around this. Like we have no idea what's going through her mind. No. And I, and I can absolutely have sensitivity to how she felt. I mean, I think the point that you know, was maybe the most valid is when she said, like, you saying that, even if you don't mean that, it paints a certain picture and that's not something I'm comfortable with. That I can totally get how it can come off. But I truly, and I I don't know, I'm sure people disagree with this. I, I don't feel that when Naomi was saying it, she was saying it for that reason. I think she was trying to like use it as a point of connection and it came across, yes, wrong. But I, I truly don't believe she was trying to allude to like, Hmm, you should see what happens when Paige isn't around. It, it it was it was not the best presentation, but like I don't know. I, I just don't think that that's where she was coming from. The whole thing just like didn't need to go down in the way that it did, you know? Right. Right. Yeah. Well, I am glad that it ended though how it did. Like kind of cute, kind of like we're gonna be like frenemies and in a parallel universe, they would be really good friends, I think. Like I think they have a lot in common and they're both like just really cool and great people. So I don't know. I don't know how it'll be. I mean, I don't think she's going to be like invited to their wedding one day, but like if they see each other around or if the show continues to film in this way, like hopefully it'll be totally chill. In in another world, if Naomi and Craig never dated and like hypothetically speaking, Naomi lived in New York, she could totally be a Summer House cast member without missing a beat. I was going to say, should we throw her into the Hamptons? Now that would be interesting. I think she'd thrive in the Hamptons, actually. I do too. Can't you imagine her in Amagansett Square? A hundred percent. She would kill it. The other thing that I wanted to mention is one tiny little moment, but when Taylor and Shep are cooking for the Friendsgiving and 
she says something to him like, you know, you need to remember when we're around our friends who don't understand our banter, you know, people think, wow, he speaks to her like that. And wow, she puts up with it. I, I say, I say this while also like 10 minutes before we started recording, seeing his stories of them together, even though it could be in just a friend's capacity. So like, who knows, but that felt a little bit concerning. Yeah. It felt a little bit concerning to hear her say it like that because I think you can see, again, it's an example of her being really desensitized to the whole situation, almost like her lowering what really happened to just their banter. No, no, no. That was like full justification trying to downplay it. It's a lot of things going on. Like a therapist would rip that scene apart. It was like a minute, not even a scene. And yeah, they have been posting a lot together. And I think it was easier to digest watching all of this, knowing that she did like get out of this relationship and that they both are on their separate paths and like not having this toxicity, but like maybe they're back together. If I was a betting man, I would say that they are personally. Yeah. And it's not just because of social media. It's also because of what Olivia said on Watch What Happens and she's very close with Taylor. What did she say again? She was like, yeah, you know, I think that they're still a potential and they're kind of like she made it seem a lot more fluid. Mm. Yeah, that does. That does scare me. Yeah. I don't know. Wait, last thing. Hello, you were forgetting literally the highlight of the episode when Naomi (gasps) admits that her and Whitney stayed an extra day at Frank Lloyd Wright's house alone. No, like, (laughs) and then Patricia finds out that they've been hooking up. Oh my God. That must be like a life highlight for her. We said it last week and I will say it again. I need footage of what went down in Frank Lloyd Wright's bedroom like in a way that I can't even describe. I need it so badly. Like it frustrates me that I just will never get like big brother love Island footage of them just like alone. I need it. Do you think we're going to get like a romantic scene between Whitney and Naomi? Like even just hearing you say that when you, when you said, (laughs) no, when you said the love Island thing, I immediately thought of Austin and Sierra with the summer house cameras. Like, cause think about it. Summer house, they have the cameras similar to how they had them the night of Bolo, you know? Yes. Yes. Like that is (laughs) the night of Bolo. That is what we need. I I know, but like also no, like it's so the kind of thing where we'd start and we'd be like, you know what? Got it. And no one needs to say anything more. Thank you. Thank you for that. I don't know. I feel like that's something we'd be very interested in watching every single moment of. It is just such a (laughs) bizarre coupling. (laughs) I love it. I'm obsessed with it. What else? Is there anything else that you want to mention? I think that's it. I mean, great week, great episodes. I'm obsessed with Salt Lake City. I now I just need the Potomac trailer and the cycle will continue on. Yes, it will. Love you guys. Thank you.